the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. I recently watched the TV series McMafia, uh, where we follow Alex Godman, an investor in London and the son of an exiled Russian gangster. After Alex witnesses the murder of his uncle, he accepts a partnership with one of his uncle's drug dealer friends in an attempt to get back at his uncle's murderer. Alex will use his investment firm to launder this criminal's money, indirectly helping him destroy his uncle's murderer in retaliation for his death. However, as the story progresses, Alex gets drawn deeper and deeper into the criminal world. He ends up complicit in a murder himself, he backstabs his friends to work with the Mexican cartel, and his pregnant fiancée is shot by his enemies. She survives, but their child doesn't. At the climax of the series, Alex travels to Russia and kills his uncle's murderer with his own hands. The final episode ends with Alex refusing a phone call from his now ex-fiancée, solidifying his commitment to his new criminal life. Alex chose a way which, to him, appeared to be right, but in the end, it led to death. What started as a financial crime, separate from the rest of his life, ended in Alex murdering his enemies. And although we don't follow the story any further, it will probably end in his own death. Now, I don't think many of us here are at risk of getting involved in organised crime, (laughs) but we all have choices to make, and we can all be at risk of making bad choices which end up causing us suffering and distress. So the question for us is, how do you know if the way is really right or merely appears to be? As the proverb says, the way which leads to death can appear to be right, it can make sense. So what do you need to be able to make sure that the choices you're making won't lead to death? Proverbs tells us that what you need is wisdom. As we look at Proverbs chapter one now, we're going to see three things. Firstly, we will see wisdom's purpose. Secondly, we will meet wisdom's motto. And then thirdly, we will hear wisdom's call. Firstly, looking at wisdom's purpose. Verse 1 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. This gives us the context for these sayings. They were collected and organised in the kingdom of Israel. The book of Proverbs is part of the Old Testament's wisdom literature, which includes Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and the Song of Songs. And in the Bible, it sits between the history books and the prophets. The history books and prophets focus on God's covenant uh, with Israel. And while wisdom literature is written by people who are living within this covenant, it doesn't emphasize God's covenant. Instead, wisdom literature presents reflections on life, God, humanity, and creation with an eye to understanding life and how to live it well. Imagine the people of Israel metaphorically walking together through life. The wisdom authors are people who have paused on the journey 
and they're looking around to observe how others are walking. They're seeing some people who are walking well and others who are walking poorly. Those who walk well are living lives within the bounds of God's covenant, but they've also had an understanding which is deeper, uh, the deeper meaning of the law and how it applies to every area of their life. Those who are walking poorly have forgotten or ignored the path which God has laid out for them in the covenant and are bringing suffering and disaster on themselves because of this. Wisdom literature, and Proverbs in particular, is there to bring us a message from these wise observers on how best to walk through our own lives before we reach the end of the journey. So we see the purpose of these Proverbs and wisdom in the first six verses. Firstly, as verses one and two say, the Proverbs of Solomon gives us the ability to understand wise wise sayings and to make good choices. To be prudent, right, just, and fair. One simple definition of wisdom would be the ability to make good choices in life. Yet specifically for biblical wisdom, this is achieved by applying God's truth to our lives. Importantly, for biblical wisdom, This requires hearing and understanding God's words, which then lead to changed actions. For example, Jesus ends his Sermon on the Mount by saying, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Wisdom is both hearing and putting into practice. These Proverbs will therefore help us to hear and understand the words of the wise, and then turn this understanding into making good decisions. Secondly, verses four and five, we see that these proverbs are for both the simple and young and the wise and discerning. The simple and young includes anyone who without guidance does not have the experience necessary to make good decisions. This is why, as we'll see, a key part of wisdom's call is to consider the outcome of your decisions before it's too late. Some mistakes are so serious that they cannot be made without destroying yourself. So the young are told to get wisdom to avoid these mistakes. Yet these proverbs aren't only for the simple and young. Those who are already wise and discerning are told to listen and add to their insight. Job says that wisdom is said to be even more difficult to find and more valuable than precious jewels which people mined deep into the earth to get. So wisdom is not something which you can ever master, there is always more of it to learn. And however much wisdom and understanding you already have, wisdom's value is so incomparable that more of it is always worth it. The Proverbs of Solomon are there to help all of us, whether wise or simple, to understand wise words and make good choices. But the short Proverbs, which we might be familiar with, don't start until chapter 10, because we need preparation if we're going to be able to use them. So the first nine chapters gives us snapshots of wise and foolish behavior. In these, we are invited to consider the outcome of the choices presented and see for ourselves what will become of the wise and the foolish. Once these examples have been understood and digested, we are able to see in each of Solomon's Proverbs a picture of a wise person or a foolish person 
and live differently because of it. But before we consider the first of these illustrations, we're presented with wisdom's motto. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This phrase, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, is present all over wisdom literature. It comes up later in Proverbs, and it's in the Psalms, and it's in Job. It tells us that biblical wisdom is concerned as much with our hearts as it is with our heads. It's not simply knowledge of facts. It's a relationship with a person which then flows into our decisions and our choices. It's this foundational relationship that makes the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning not in the sense that it's the start from which you move on, but in the sense that it's the source or controlling principle of wisdom. Uh, because the fear of the Lord is so important, I thought I'd spend some time thinking about what it is and then also some time about how we can grow in it. So firstly, thinking about what is fear of the Lord. In the Bible, we see two ways that people experience fear with respect to God. The first is sinful fear, which might better be called being afraid of God. This is the fear of God as creator and judge. And we see this kind of fear in Jesus' parable of the miners or the talents. The servant says to his master, I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. The servant failed to see and trust in the master's love and kindness. This is the fear we experience if we only see God's power and the moral distance between us and him. But this isn't the type of fear which becomes wisdom's motto. Instead, wisdom's fear of the Lord sees God's power, but in the way that a child sees their father, full of love, trust, and knowledge of their kindness. The fear of the Lord is such a high love for God, high love and concern for God, that we would be afraid to do anything which would offend him. It's the same attitude we express when we say, hallowed be your name in the Lord's Prayer. And this attitude leads us to care deeply about the things God cares about, and it flows into the wisdom of our choices. Wisdom's motto tells us that if we grow in this fear of the Lord, then we will also grow in knowledge and wisdom. So how do you grow in the fear of the Lord? Well, I would just like to suggest three different ways that we can grow. Firstly, we can grow by avoiding and rejecting idols. It's sometimes said that what you fear shows what you love. By being called to fear the Lord, we are called to love him. Yet often we put other things in God's place, and these things are idols. For ancient Israel, idol worship would have looked like literally worshipping statues and images instead of meeting the Lord at the tabernacle or temple. For us today, these idols might not seem so obvious, but anything which we love, which replaces the right love of God, can become an idol. For example, in the New Testament, Paul calls greed idolatry, because it's a love of gain which replaces love of God. What might your fears show about what you love? It's important to know that some fears and about some things might be right and normal, but it's when that love begins to replace your love of God that they become idols. If you find a fear which is at risk of becoming an idol, 
then replacing it with the love of God will help you grow in the fear of the Lord and then grow in wisdom. A second way is to reflect on God's salvation. One way you can do this is by spending time meditating on the words of scripture. Reading the words of scripture, we read the words of people who had a deep and experiential relationship with God. So as you hear from them how God has saved his people, their words can transform your heart and mind to see the greatness of God's salvation in your life. Seeing God's greatness and his love which come together in the salvation of humanity through Christ helps us fear him with a right fear. And thirdly, I'd like to suggest that we can cultivate a habit of thankfulness to God for his goodness. God constantly lavishes good things on us and intentionally noticing these things in your life will help you develop a habit of seeing God's goodness naturally. All the good things that we experience in life are signposts They're meant to tell us about the one whom they come from. Seeing God's gifts of life, food and drink, family and friends, and the joy that we get from them, we can then follow them back to the one who gave them to us and see his goodness. And as we see God's generosity and goodness, we grow in a right fear of him, which will then flow into wisdom in our lives. Growing in the fear of the Lord whether by doing these things or through other disciplines, will give us an orientation towards God in our lives and help us live with attention to God's presence with us. This, as verse 7 tells us, will be the foundational relationship which helps us get wisdom and understanding. So, having earlier been introduced to the purpose of wisdom and the Proverbs that they will help us to make good choices, we come to the first snapshot of a way of folly. In the rest of chapter 1, we will find two voices sharing wisdom. Firstly, in verses 8 to 19, we hear the instruction of a father. And then in verses 20 to 33, we hear the call of wisdom. Both of them have a similar message to give us, and it's along the lines of this. The way of folly is enticing and tempting, but will ultimately lead to destruction. On the other hand, the way of wisdom has the simple beauty of goodness, and in it lies security. So firstly, the instruction of a father. The father, open, the father opens his speech with a warning not to forsake his instruction or the mother's teaching, because in them is a reward. This reward is a garland and a chain to adorn you, which carries with it connotations of favour and success. And the beauty of the fruits of wisdom is important to keep in mind, because as verse 10 shows, the ways of sin can be enticing. This young man is told that, in essence, he can get rich quickly if only he goes along with the sinful men. They tell him how they will get all sorts of valuable things and fill their houses with plunder. They will all share the loot. But these riches will come at a price. The young man must join in these people's sin. To get these riches, he must lie in wait for innocent blood. He will have to ambush some harmless soul. We are interrupted by the father's voice. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths. 
The father tells the young man to consider the outcome of going this way. He shares his wisdom with his son. The father says that even though it will look like he is setting an ambush to rob the innocent, in reality, these men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. The violence these sinful men will return to them. This picture is then used to make a wider point. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. Whether or not you are literally joining with a gang of criminals, if you seek wealth without justice, then ultimately it will not give you the peace and security you are looking for in it. At heart, this story is about more than ill-gotten gain. It's a warning about listening to the wrong voice. Kathleen Nielsen in Proverbs for You writes this, Proverbs is not about rules, but about a relationship, one in which we are called to listen to words, ultimately God's words. And so it makes sense that we are thrust into scenarios where words are being offered in the context of various relationships. The question is, whose words will we hear? And so secondly, we are introduced to the call of wisdom. Unlike the intimate, familial setting of the Father's instruction, wisdom calls aloud out in the open, raising her voice in the public, in the public square. Wisdom begins with a cry for repentance from the simple, the mockers and the, and the fools. How long, she asks, if only they would turn away from their sinful ways. Then wisdom would pour out her thoughts and make known her teachings. Wisdom wants to reclaim those who have wandered from her ways, so she now presents two stark warnings. She gives two since and therefore sections. Firstly, in verses 24 to 28, those who rejected wisdom are laughed at by wisdom itself. Wisdom has openly called out for the simple and foolish to turn from their sinful ways. However, since they have refused to listen to her, Therefore, she will laugh when disaster strikes. This is not the wicked pleasure which people can sometimes take in, the, in seeing the distress of those they hate. It's not personal heartlessness. This is laughter at the absurdity of choosing folly and the vindication of wisdom. Just as the young man who tried to destroy others for his own gain ended up only destroying himself, People who mock wisdom by thinking that they know better will be mocked by her in return. Secondly, in verses 29 to 31, a similar since and therefore is presented, but with the addition of a significant phrase. Verse 29 tells us that these people did not choose to fear the Lord. Verse 30 then repeats almost exactly what verse 25 said that the foolish rejected wisdom's advice and ignored her rebuke. But now, with verse 29, we understand that rejecting this advice and ignoring this rebuke means rejecting the fear of the Lord. Hearing wisdom's call is directly identified with fearing the Lord. Wisdom says that since the foolish did not choose to fear the Lord or listen to her advice, therefore they will eat the fruit of their ways. Wisdom concludes her speech with a summary. The wayward and complacent fools will destroy themselves, 
but those who follow the way of wisdom will live in safety, ease, and without fear of harm. If you forsake the teaching of wisdom, then do not be surprised when what you have been warned about happens to you. I started with the question, how do you know if the way you're going is, is really right or merely appears to be? And said that we can avoid a way that leads to death by instead following the way of wisdom. As we've seen from chapter 1, we are warned that if you choose a way of folly and sin, it can ultimately lead to your own death and distress. Therefore, Proverbs chapter 1 tells you that if you stick to the way of wisdom, then you will avoid being deceived by ways that appear to be right. But this first chapter is saying something more fundamental than just do this, don't do that. The way of wisdom is about which voice you are listening to. And lending your ear to the words, are you lending your ear to the words of the wise or paying attention to the foolish? The voices to which you are giving your attention and your time are what will influence your decisions. The book of Proverbs has the same message as the whole Bible. Proverbs invites, invites us to sit under, under the teaching of wisdom itself, to not trust our own desires and thoughts, but to learn from someone who knows more than us. God has given us the book of Proverbs to see many different ways in which people listen to words of wisdom or words of folly. And as you read these sayings and meditate on their meaning, you have an opportunity to open your hearts to the voice of the wise. But Proverbs also points out that listening to the right voice requires loving the right person. As we saw in verses 7 and 29, listening to wisdom's voice and fearing the Lord are intimately connected. Wisdom tells us that if we want to be wise, then we need to fear the Lord, to love him and to hold him in our hearts above everything else. This is all ultimately filled in Jesus Christ. As he tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, it's by hearing his words and putting them into practice that we become wise people. It's as we develop our love for Christ through seeing his love and goodness that we begin to fear the Lord and access the life that he gives us. So let's pray now to Jesus and ask him to help us love him, hear his words, and then put them into practice. Almighty and merciful Lord, thank you that you call out to us all to hear your voice, to turn from sin and folly, and to stay in a loving relationship with you. Please fill our hearts with a right fear of you, that we will love you deeply and be attentive to your voice. May all of us hear your words and put them into practice in each of our lives. Amen.